Morning, everyone. A happy Resurrection Day to you. The only way we cannot find joy in today is that we're not living a life worthy of the risen Lord. And if we are finding joy in today, I think this is a sign that we are, that we belong to the Lord. Amen. Are we worthy? Not really. By faith we are. But let us look by faith on that risen Lord this morning. Let's uh, bow our heads for a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we come with humility to you this morning with praise in our hearts, with joy in our hearts. Father, for the hope that you have put into our hearts, that you resurrected, Father, from the dead, and we have this same hope. And if we have not hope for this, Lord, the Bible says that we are men most miserable. But Lord, we believe in that. And we thank you for this special gift this morning as we read over these words again, press it onto our hearts, Lord, to live lives that are completely given over to you, to have testimonies, to have a joy that other people might see that we believe in this promise in this special day. Father, this we pray in the name of Jesus, in your precious name. Amen. To recap what Brother Richard shared here on Good Friday message two days ago, we sang this song, When I Surveyed a Wondrous Cross. The last verse of that song, that's one of my most favorite songs. Were the whole realm of nature mine that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul my life, my all. This is not a have to. This is not legalism. This is a heart that is totally given over to Christ for the love that he has done. It is like a servant going to his boss and saying, I want to serve you forever. Sticking all through my earlobe as a sign that I'm going to be your bond, bond slave forever. I am not... A slave anymore, I am a servant. And it is through my free will. This is the attitude we have towards Christ. We are now bond servants to Christ. It is not a have to, it is a get to. As we meditate on the cross and resurrection that was preached and shared to us, I keep wondering if we can truly comprehend what has been done for us. His great salvation has been wrought for us by the finished work of Calvary. Can we say with David in Psalm chapter 40, verse 8, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. I have preached righteousness in, in the great congregation. Lo, I have not refrained my lips, O Lord, thou knowest. I have not hid thy righteousness within my heart. I have declared thy faithfulness and, and thy salvation. I have not concealed a loving kindness and thy truth from the great congregation. David got a glimpse of what it was to serve Christ. He loved the Lord. I delight to do thy will, he said. Oh my God, thy law is written in my heart. 
May we have this same thing in our hearts today as we serve Christ. In Hebrews 2, 3, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? I keep thinking, and Brother Richard spoke of this as well. Are we better than the ones that crucified Jesus? Are we better than the ones that have crucified Jesus if we are of the number that keep on loving our sin and push Jesus away? Are we better? I think not. Are we deserving of being partakers of the joy of the resurrection if we don't live lives that are sacrificed to him? Like the song says, is our love of God demanding total obedience of our soul, our life, our all? Yes, we will never deserve it. We will never be able to work for it. It is a gift, a gift that commends us to live for him. And this is what I want to press in today. It's not only the story of the resurrection, but to challenge yours truly, to challenge us that we live lives that are worthy of his suffering. Oh, what great sacrifice the Lord has wrought on the cross of Christ. Oh, what greater salvation the Lord has wrought in the empty tomb. On this end, we will open up our Bibles and keep it open in John chapter 19. We'll start reading in verse 31. John 19, 31. John 19, 31. And Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the bodies should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was on a high day. That's where they get the high day from. Besought Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and brake the legs of the first and the others which were crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they brake not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. And he that saw it bear record, and his record is true. And he knoweth that he said what he said is true, that he might believe. For those things were done, that the scripture should be fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken. And again another scripture saith, They shall look on him whom they had pierced. Verse 38. And after this Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him leave. And he came therefore and took the body of Jesus. And there came also Nicodemus, which is at first came to Jesus by night, and brought brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound wheat. Some experts say that converts to about, I'm not sure what they used, about 70 pounds. Um, I don't know what all that entailed, the mixtures of aloes, the... uh, they would included the cloth, the many tens and I don't know how many feet of cloth that it took to wrap Jesus up in a manner of the Jewish custom. Verse 41. Now in a place where he was 
crucified, there was a garden, and in that garden a new sepulcher, which was never yet any man laid. And this is also very important. Verse 42, There laid they Jesus, therefore, because of the Jews' preparation day, for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. That means it was very close to where the place where they crucified him. And now we're going to move on to John chapter 20, verse 1 to 23. Verse 1, The first day of the week helmet Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulcher, and see the stone taken away from the sepulcher. This was right here. Very early. The sun just came up. The stone was taken away. We know who took that away, that stone. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. This is John. And said unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth and the other disciple and came to the sepulcher. So they both ran both together. The other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. And he stooped down and looked in and saw the linen clothes lying. Yet went he not in. Then come at Simon Peter following him and went into the sepulcher and seeth the linen clothes lie. And the napkins, which was about the head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also the other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw, and he believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture, that he must, be, that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again into their own home. And Mary stood without the sepulcher, weeping, and she wept. She stooped down and looked into the sepulcher, and see two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been laid. And they said unto her, Women, why, Woman, why weepest thou? She said unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back, and saw Jesus standing, and knew not that it was Jesus. Verse 15. Jesus said unto her, Women, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She supposed him to be the gardener, said unto him, Sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said unto her, Mary. She turned herself and said unto him, Rabbani, which is to say, Master. Jesus said unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my father and your father and your father and to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father had sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them, and whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. Amen. We'll stop there.
Amen. Hallelujah. This is the Easter story from Scripture. Now let's take a deeper look and meditate on what happened to Jesus. Let's look at some fundamental truths of the spiritual world and the physical world we live in. All this cannot be proven by science. And there's many people that don't believe it for that reason. They think it's not attainable. They cannot see it, so I will not believe it. Were you there, they said. No, I wasn't there. But I believe it happened through the testimony of the saints of old. It is not observable with the naked eye what the Lord has done. It cannot be proven with modern science. We have seen and experienced this evidence by observing around us what the Lord has wrought in this world around us and the work he has done in our lives and the lives and testimony of others. We can relate to it. We believe it. We know it. We will die for it if we have to. I would anyways. We believe it so strongly. Our forefathers believed it. Because they had this witness in themselves, the Holy Spirit, that told them that this is true. We are coexisting with another world. <laughs> side by side, which we cannot see. It's here. It's not tangible, but it's here. We cannot feel it when we sweep our hands across the room. We cannot touch it. But it is there. Ephesians 6.12 for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We fight not against flesh and blood. We fight against this spiritual darkness, this world, the demons that reign in it. In Genesis uh, chapter 2 and verse 3, we see, or in Genesis 2 and 3, we see God's communicating together with Adam as a person, so the worlds didn't exist yet, in a way that the world didn't exist yet here on earth. As soon as man sinned, God put a barrier between himself and man. Now there is a barrier, hence we cannot come into the new spiritual world. This barrier has been in place through the ages, with the exception of a few spiritual persons being able to cross it and communicate through it. Great men of God like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Daniel, and most of the prophets and judges could openly communicate with God. Servants of the devil could also enter it because they served the angel of darkness who also operated in the spiritual realm. Like the witch Saul consulted the fierce demonic man in Mark 5, verse 1 to 17. As we look around this room and outside, we see a real world. We see objects. We see pews around us. We see books. We see trees and grass beginning to grow. We see buildings. The spiritual world that exists next to ours is as real as that which we can see. And it's coexisting next to ours. But we cannot see it. And we can observe when I place my hand on this pulpit that my hand stops. I cannot go through it. I am hitting 
an object, particles, forces, which I cannot cross over. These forces are held together by the laws of God, the laws of physics, the laws of the universe that God has made. God, on the other hand, can go through these without stopping. These laws don't apply to him. God can go through these laws of tangible forces. They are supernatural. They are not repeatable in the science lab because the spirit goes where it will. A tangible is consistent and repeatable. Science that we call science, that by definition is something that is consistent and repeatable. The supernatural is not. Therefore, a lot of people throw it out. It is, it is fairy tales, they say. We cannot believe it. But it is not so with the spirit world. It isn't consistent and repeatable that we can observe. It might be in the laws of God. With God, everything is perfect. So these might be consistent too, but we have not observed it yet. All matter is made of atoms. Atoms are not solid. Within these atoms are nucleus of connected varying protons and varying electrons. I will let the science teachers go into further depth, but, but that's all you need to know for now. Within this is mostly empty space, but it is still preventing us from entering through them in this tangible world. We cannot see them, but they're there. Within these forces in place, with these forces in place, we are in tune with them. Therefore, we cannot cross over to them. That includes the air we breathe. We cannot cross over it. When we become born again, John 3, 3 to 6, we can cross into the spiritual world and start to experience it. Most of us cannot see it, but we can experience its presence. The Holy Spirit's work in our hearts, we can experience that. God within us. A life change in a person. Habits that have been changed through that new birth. We can ent enter into the spiritual world by belief of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. John 3, 3 to 6, Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. We believe that 2,000 years ago, God sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, as a baby. In doing so, he stepped over that spiritual barrier, walked 30 years amongst us, being flesh and blood. He was in our physical only world. This is very important to understand. He was in our physical only world. Jesus took upon himself the physical and tangible that we now possess. He did not delve back and forth for his advantage. Jesus certainly knew the spiritual world was there, and he saw it with spiritual eyes, but he refused to go into it because he took upon himself flesh and blood. Why? 
that we can cross that spiritual barrier back to God by faith. The whole basis of Christendom rests on the blood of Christ being applied on our hearts that we might have sinless lives through faith in the ultimate Lamb of God, taking the sins of mankind, henceforth living a resurrected life through his resurrection, that we might die and cross over that physical realm just like Jesus did. If we go back to our introduction, think of the graves that are open. It's written in Matthew 27, verse 52. And Matthew is the only one that speaks about this. The many saints that were observed having died were now alive, walking about and appearing to many. Also, the mystery of the grave clothes helps us make all this more sense. Let's discuss the miracle of the grave clothes. I've spoken of this before, but many here have not heard it. How was Jesus prepared with linen cloth? Let's look at the case of Lazarus first. John eleven, forty three through 44. And when he thus spoke, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus said unto them, Loose him and let him go. This is exactly how they buried Jesus. With that linen cloth, with a napkin upon his head. Uh, Lazarus could hardly move. We could, we could picture him trying to move through his linen cloth very, very subtly, or, but hardly. I think Jesus not only resurrected him, but he brought him out because he couldn't walk with these linen clothes around him. It was so tightly wrapped, as the custom was. And within these bandages were all kinds of costly aloes and perfumes and things so that so the body wouldn't smell in decom- decomposition, or at least help in that area. In uh, verse 39, And there came also Nicodemus, which had at first came to Jesus by night, and brought a mixture of mirrors and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. Then they took the body of Jesus and wound it in linen cloths with spices, as the manner of Jews is to bury. Let's read John 20, verse 6 to 8 again. Then come at Simon Peter following him, and they went into the sepulcher, and see the linen clothes lie, and the napkins which was about his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also the other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher, he saw and he believed. Now what did he see? And what made him believe? I'll take the liberty here to do a simple exclamation, which the children will enjoy as well, of what he saw and why he believed. I brought a few tools with me here. I got a balloon, which symbolizes the body of Jesus. I got the napkin, which symbolizes the napkin about his head. And I have a few feet of the linen cloth that was wrapped about him, symbolizing what the Jews used to wrap the body of Jesus. So first of all, the napkin was put around the head. This was done in all the burials. And then the body was wrapped tightly 
around the body a number of times to keep the aloes, to keep the perfume, to keep everything together very tightly. And it took, I don't know if it took hundreds of feet. I don't know how much it took. It took enough, however many it took, to tightly cover the body so that nothing could be seen. Now, Daniel, I'm going to ask you a question. Can you imagine a body trying to get out of this, this wrapping? You think a body could get out by itself? No, a body could not get out by itself. It's tightly wrapped. It's like a cloth handcuff. And it was laying there on the tomb, on a ledge, with a brand new tomb. Nobody had ever been buried in there. And that's important to me is because when, when the disciples went in, they could have seen other bodies. But since it was brand new, they knew Jesus' body hadn't been misplaced when any other body in the tomb. There was only one in there, and that was the body of Jesus. So when Jesus was resurrected, something supernatural had happened. He was not in tune with the forces of the cloth anymore. He just rose on top of them, out of them, and he rose out of these rocks that surrounded him in the tomb. Jesus did not need anybody to roll the stone away. The stone was rolled away so the disciples could go in and see the miracle. Jesus has risen from the dead. Now, what did John see that made him believe? Okay, it was sunken and was empty. It was still wound tight. The body had gone out, and next to it lay the wrapped-up napkin. By itself, it says, meaning Jesus' body had come out of that napkin. It was still tightly wound together. It was sunken and empty. Jesus had gone out of it, and the napkin was over here. And that's what I believe John saw, and he believed, and he saw the miracle. Mary did not see it for what it was, but John saw it, and he believed that Jesus has risen from the dead because nobody could have come out of this without unwrapping it. Jesus said to Lazarus, or to the men surrounding him, go and unwrap him. Reveal him. Jesus did not have to be revealed. He came out of that napkin. That was a miracle. Amen. Believing brothers and sisters is action. Excitement. Rejoicing. Telling others. And most of all, to live according to the word of God. Dearly beloved brethren, I want to strongly emphasize again that we live in a fallen world that preaches half-true doctrines. That Jesus died so that we don't have to go on the cross. This is correct. But I believe it's a half-truth. Jesus died so that I don't have to go on the cross. This is correct. We believe in a finished and final work of the cross. We also believe that we will have to go through trials as Christians. These trials were ordained of God because he loves us and he chastises us as beloved sons. 
We are now living as Christians. This realization of love the Lord has, has wrought for us demands and commands obedience, sacrifice for others, and a life lived out for our fellow man. It is in the spirit of sacrifice, not by force, not in the spirit of begrudging, like I have to, but in the spirit of honor to follow Christ in his suffering. A life that demands sacrifice, not by constraint, but out of love. Any other way is the spirit of legalism and dead religion. And we have all seen it. In closing, I want to read together 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 to 12. It's such a beautiful chapter. The expectations Peter has for Christians. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy had begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that faded not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Whom having not seen, ye love, in whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory." Receiving the end of your fate, even a salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified aforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Unto whom it was revealed, and not only themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them, that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost, sent down from heaven, which things the angel desired to look into. Wherefore, gird up the lines of your mind. Wherefore, because of this, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober, the hope to the end, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning ourselves to the former lusts in your ignorance, but... As he which had called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversations. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father who without respect of person judge it according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversations received by the traditions of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. As of a lamb without blemish, without spot, who was verily foreordained before the foundations of the world, but was manifested in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him from the dead, and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love to brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as of grass, and the glories of, of man 
as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endured forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Amen. Um, I also want to read 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. The Bible said we should comfort one another with these words. And there's no better time, I believe, is at Resurrection Sunday. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13. And I would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others have that have no hope. But if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will bring with him. For this we say unto, unto you by the word of the Lord, that, that, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Amen.